Mishka Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Well, hello there. Uh, hey, what's up, gang? It's Mishka. You know who I am. You know what this is. Um, just wanted to fill you guys in on some of the uh, some of the episodes that we have uh, coming up soon. Um, I interviewed Andy Falkus from Future of the Left and Christian Fitness and a little band called McCluskey. Um, that was a great interview. The he is a, a surprisingly. Uh, a surprisingly chipper, upbeat, uh, sensitive dude. The his the music is loud. The band's abrasive, and one could easily make an assumption that it's it's going to be nihilistic rock. But one of the things that I really loved about uh, Andy's music and about our conversation is that it was surprisingly positive, uh, sort of uh, jubilant, uh, scratch acid. Um, also, did a. Uh, Great long interview with uh, Joe Cardamone from the Icarus Line and a collaborator of my old friend Mark Lanigan. Uh, they just they recently put out a record uh, called uh, Dark Mark versus Skeleton Joe. And I actually met Joe for the first time at, uh, at Lanigan's service. And uh, we did a long, you know, just sort of a long hang talking about um, Mark, the effect, you know, our, our different differing friendships and relationships with him and the effect he had on our lives. The, um, also did a, a one long and one short podcast, uh, with Roberto Bentevena, uh, another friend I made through Lanigan. Uh, we had a fun weekend. Uh, he rented a Tesla and we drove up to Flagstaff together and, uh, I value my male friends. I like hanging out with dudes and, uh, two guys together in a Tesla driving up to Flagstaff. We got a whole lot of, uh, hashtag love wins kind of looks from people, which is fine. Fuck it. Uh, love does win. Um, also recording a podcast this week with my old friend, um, star Anna, she's a songwriter and artist from Ellensburg, Washington. And, um, she and I have been to hell and back together. Uh, I think we did 40 shows in 38 days together once and, uh, still have, uh, still have PTSD from that. Um, coming up today is conversation I recorded with my old friend, Josh Mallerman, uh, from the, I know him as Josh from the high strung. I think a lot of people know him that way. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of other people know him as a, an, an incredibly, I'm not going to say incredibly prolific. I'm going to say terribly prolific, uh, horror writer, uh, who wrote a little book called bird box that then became a massive online phenomenon when it dropped on uh, Netflix. The, Josh and I, you know, I have a hard time uh, putting one word on my relationship with him. The we've been friends for a long time through a lot of shit, and I, I, I really I value his heart, his intellect. Um, I I'm openly and env- I'm nakedly envious of his success. You know, I remember touring with uh, with the High Strung in 2003, 2004, and I was driving with Chad and uh, the bass player for the High Strung, and he said, "You know, Mishka, you're you're a great songwriter. I really love your songs, and Josh is better." And uh, and I've always lived with that. Um, so, Chad, fuck you so much for that. And um, 
please enjoy this conversation with Josh Mallerman. He, he's really uh, such a beautiful guy and so much for artists to learn, I think, about how to how to be an artist without being the opposite of a person. Thank you. Oh, my God. What's up, dude? Hi. I don't know why my headphones won't work in there, but oh, well. Hi, your room looks totally awesome. You even have a reel-to-reel. Yeah, the... um, What are... What do they say about a uh, an old tape machine? The uh, the limitations are endless. <laughs> yeah. Is it is that a Chad quote? Yeah. Or is that <laughs> so fucking funny? That's the um, that, that was the best and the worst thing about High Strung is that it was uh, you're all wise guys. Everybody, uh, everybody was the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> The... Well, listen, dude, uh, it was different. It is difficult to out out Fox Derek in that way, though. Oh, yeah. That, well, I mean, that's <laughs> you guys were like, uh, you know, like uh, 70s, um, like the A team or something like that. You know, <laughs> the, the uh, Derek was the uh, he was the the sleeper wise man of yeah. uh, sitting there in silence and then just spitting out like a Zen cone that just laid everything bare where you're like, Oh fuck. You know, the, yeah, we had, there was an amazing run. I mean, it was probably when we were touring with you where Derek was more or less like our MC. So it, it added to the, what do you call it? The um, de- democratic nature of this trio or something like this front man wasn't even the one talking between songs. It was the drummer. So you had this lead bass player, a singer and a songwriter, but the drummer was the guy talking to the audience. And there was one time I'll never forget where I was, I broke a string or something and I turned to Derek and I was like, say something funny. And he was like, you can't just tell me to say something funny. You know, he's like, (laughs) that's, that is the best way to make somebody's mind just like dry up, just turn to an endless desert of unfunny shit. You know, like that. You know, here's another thing. I was talking about this with somebody the other day that how how many times how many times have you and I checked a mic in our lifetime and how long have we been doing it and how quickly does language abandon you completely when you have to check a mic where you're like brown cow? How now? You know? No, I know we're both writers. We write songs. We're like, uh, we're quick on our feet in, in, in conversation. The minute you're up there, it's funny, dude. I was, we have a show coming up, right? It's an album release show. And I was honestly already thinking about just, you know, you fantasize about the, the night of stuff. I was actually already thinking about what I was going to say during the mic check. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like it crossed my mind. That's how, like intimidating and bizarrely brainwashing that moment in time is. Yeah, it is. Well, also, I mean, that's a survival skill that I think we adapted from life on the road where you're playing college junction, you know, wherever the hell a, a place you've never been or a place you've never had a good show or a place you don't have fans. You don't have anybody coming. The first, your first opportunity to convert people is during the sound check where yeah. um if you're if you're funny if you're sharp if the band um you know plays well or is impressive in some way um during sound check then maybe the sound engineer and the bartender will be like will text their buddies and be like hey 
good band playing tonight. You should come and, you know, the, so it's, it's weird that we are that sort of like maniacal control freaks that we would be like, even the sound check needs to be perfect, you know, and also that the, how many shows have you played and you're like, Oh, this sound check is going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, but this is, this is interesting, really interesting what you're saying and could lead to geez, an entire conversation in and of itself. Right. Because like we always talk about the difference between playing for an audience who knows you and likes you and the difference between playing for one who doesn't. And when you're going to, I mean, it's the chasm's infinite and you're playing the same exact songs. You're the same exact songwriter. You're the same exact group of guys. And one, feels like you're wearing a cape and spandex the other one feels like you're the ugliest like pile of lint that rolled into town so it not to stay on the sound check thing but it, it every moment like from the minute you walk in the bar you feel like it needs to represent you in full um when you meet someone when you're selling an album it has to represent you in full and there's a bizarre i want to know if the i don't know if the word is pressure but there's a bizarre sense of i need to be on this entire time from the minute i walk in here to the minute I walk out and I worry then and I worry now if sometimes that might come off as this guy's running for office you know because you're on you're just on and you're making jokes and you're like oh tell me about your band and this and that but it it was and it is coming from a more sincere place of I only have you for one night and I care more about the positive shit with all of this so for me to like either mope or or uh, be angry or whatever it seems like even if that's like true to how i'm feeling at that moment it seems like i a wasted opportunity to actually meet someone to actually connect with someone in a big way i don't i don't know that derek or chad feel this way or mark or steven i would have to ask them i guess but i always felt that way and i just came from a horror writers convention <laughs> and <laughs> felt that way the whole time there like and i was there for like three days and there's a sense of all right showtime that's i'm you and i you know the the word blessed is not a, a word i gravitate to often but there there is no better word to describe the lives that you and i have we've been so fucking lucky our lives are so amazing we've really like um there's no reason that we should be getting away with the lives that we have. You know, we're so fucking lucky, but one of the, you know, one of the prices of um, the lives that we have is that you're constantly on stage. You know, the, um, I remember like going to see a show and then I had to take a piss. So I went to the bathroom and somebody followed me into the bathroom to, to be like, Hey, I'm a big fan. You know, the, and I was like, man, even, even with my dick in my hand in <laughs> possibly one of the most unguarded moments possible, you know, the, um, I'm on stage, you know, the, and this guy is like, Oh, is, you know, is he one of the, those guys who looks down while he's peeing or just stares straight ahead? Like, you know, a Vietnam vet who's like, yeah, stealing no, some right. shit, you know, the, and, and the other thing is that every, Vietnam vet. <laughs> every, every show that we have, is also practice, particularly when you guys were like living out of the school bus and stuff like that. Uh You you didn't get a chance to practice. So every show was at, it was at once the real thing and also practice for the next one. And 
man. And I feel the same exact way about the books, like the same exact way where the rough draft, you could argue is a trial run for the book, but it's also a total performance. And even when you're alone in your room, there's, there's a sense of like, like the rough draft for bird box now to me, um, it was almost, I don't want to say holy, but my God, has it done something for my life? Right. So I'll look at that rough draft and I'm like, yeah, that, that was rewritten 11 times, including once from scratch. I started over at one point and, but still that rough draft is what leads to that or whatever. And all those shows we, we would play for, you know, if if there was 20 people, you're like, not bad. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty damn good. You know? And so there was a sense, some people would argue, uh, and we did that for years, as you know, um, some people would argue that's like flailing or treading water or something, but it always felt like, and it still feels like, like, like it's meaningful in and of itself. Like it's leading somewhere. Like it's, um, it's practice and the real thing at the same time. Like it's better to do it than to not like all these things, all these things are still, I still feel exactly the same way about it. I remember way back when there was a girl that was saying like, you know, you guys are um, playing all these shows, but there's no like strategy. You just go, go, go. And I'm like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Right. It's like, you have a point, but at the same time, it was more important to me, the, the swirling and it is the more, uh, I'm sorry, the swirling like momentum of it versus um, some strategic like master plan, some branding, some sort of like that sort of thing. I've always seen it more like if you stay in motion, you're not going to end up exactly where you see yourself ending up like exactly, but because you're in motion, you will end up somewhere. The, I mean, yeah, that's, that's really interesting because the, uh, that was one of the things that I felt about the high strung was that the road was the destination and that um, you guys were constantly leaving and also constantly arriving. And the, you know, I've been thinking about this word recreation, you know, of that as adults, we don't really play, you know, the, my dog plays, my cats, you know, my cat plays and the, um, but recreation is literally recreation, right? That it's, you know, and going through this thing of um, we die each night to go into sleep and then we're born again each morning. The, and that was one of the things that I, um, every single day, the high strung was a different band. You know, there was, there was continuity, but um, it's, you know, it's also like the, going to battle you you have to prove yourself every single night to every audience the it's yeah you know no i I love what you're talking about it's on it's really interesting it's like every day reborn or something and you would like bounce back from you know staying up till 4 a.m you would drive i would be writing in the passenger seat derek would be driving chad would be you often chad would be like actually practicing scales for crying out loud and that shows and him being one of the best bass players any of us have ever seen. Um, no, but there is absolutely this, the, the road is the destination. I said to Derek once um, somewhere in there that I was like, man, if tomorrow we break up, if tomorrow we sell 10 million albums, like, I don't know if we can ever top what we're doing right now. It seemed like we had re- reached some sort of like, if you're traveling, if you're playing 260 shows a year, for an average, again, and, and I'm saying this number, I don't mean to belittle it, like 
20, 30 people a night, you know, average, which sounds amazing. Like at some point you're like, and, and you're not employing, you know, you're not reaching out for managers or this or that. Like what is you, you've reached some sort of nirvana. You've reached some sort of like plateau. You've reached like you're doing what you want to do. And I remember, I, I remember saying that to Derek and it, it almost was like chilled me a little bit. Cause it was like, you know, you're not supposed to recognize when you're at a spot like that. Right. And, yeah. and, and I, remember, I remember getting a little chilled, like, uh, that's going to happen. We either, either something amazing or, or we end up breaking up. We didn't end up breaking up. We didn't end up sending, selling 10 million albums, but what we did do, like we're still together now, obviously, but we're not on the road anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think what, um, you know, what we were both seeking to do with music was to, um, was to be meaningful. And yes. it's funny because, you know, we, we talk about getting big, right? The, um, oh, you know, this band got big or we never got big or I dreamt of getting big. But if, but as a, um, as a watcher, as a listener, as an audience member, if I go to see Eminem, I'm in the fucking nosebleeds and Eminem is very small. He's gotten so big that he's small. If I go see the high strung, I'll be in the front row every time. And you guys are much bigger in that moment than a bigger artist who I'm a fucking million that I paid $200 to go and watch on a screen because I can't even see them as a person, you know? Yeah. That that's incredible, man. You're full of incredible stuff today. Um, as always. Um, yeah. The, you bring up a topic that I actually have been thinking about a lot lately because my manager and I started a production company. So we have a lot of like business meetings now and I've always kind of been bent a little bit that way with the high strung. I was booking our first like year or two on the road. I'm the guy that would mostly me and Derek would like talk to the labels. Like, so I've had like bent that way a little, but this is different. Now I'm in like meetings with producers and directors and screenwriters and studios. And it's a little like, whoo, right. Yeah. And I can, I can hang until the conversation turns to size like casting this actor is bigger than that actor or this director's a nobody or this director's hot right now, or this person's huge. When people start talking in those terms, and as you can imagine, that comes up often in those scenarios, I punch out. I, I don't weigh in. I don't like, I'm not like, cause I just do not see the world that way. I do yeah. not see it as like, you know, there's some like ranking on IMDb or whatever of like who the biggest stars are currently. I mean, and that changes regularly. And I'm like, these not, not to get too hippie cosmic, but like, they're just, these are just people. And not only that, most of our favorite movies, you know, star people we've never seen before, especially horror where yeah. it's like someone out of nowhere. Now that person. So let's make the movie that makes that person at the top of that list. Let's not go by that list. And, but there's this sense there of worth dependent upon, you know, sales worth dependent upon money you take in. And I get it from a business pers business person's perspective, but it's also to me like wildly short-sighted to see an artist in that way. Because what you're doing is like, you're saying, think about, think about how many like brilliant songwriters we encountered on the road. Yeah. And how, like, if, if we were just playing, you know, if we were the only ones there, that wouldn't, they wouldn't have made that list to consider for this movie, that kind of thing. So size to me. And also, Inversely, like <clears throat> you and I are doing really well. 
with books and with and with music and all this. And I have never, not one time, felt bigger than I felt than traveling with the high strung plane for nobody. Yeah. There's, in fact, I feel like it's the same exact thing. Like, oh yeah, I, I want to write a new album. I'm talking to Mark about it. I'm I'm feeling a little guilty that I haven't started the new book. I'm like anxious about this thing coming out. You know, I mean, it's like I'm exactly the same spot. It's not like. Whew, well, we've crossed the finish line now. Yeah, Everything's in order. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's, it's like you've you've just become more 2003 Josh Mallerman. You know. The, yes. <laughs> the, do you realize we've known each other for fucking 20 years now? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. The um, I listening to you talk through this, I feel like you're fortunate to have people in these meetings who are pushing for who's hot. Because then you can do what you've always done, which is to fight for the people who are good. Yep. And, and to fight for the unknowns, the underdogs, the, the nobodies, you know, the, um, you know, I saw the flyer you posted the other day with the teeth and I was like, oh my God, I haven't thought about that band like forever, you know, um, the teeth, hot pipes, the, the possibilities and yeah. like how, you know, how that possibilities record just like blew our fucking hair back. For oh, man. years, you know, the and I, I got a record from Troy Gregory, who played with uh, or who plays with Dirt Bombs. Yeah. And the um, a record that's just sort of been lost to the ages. But it's it's um, it's a record that I would consider like my source material that like I keep going back to it and being like, oh, that's that's one of the I need to listen to that again. I need to get that sound, that guitar sound, that vocal sound, you know, the um, you got to send me which album that is. Is it is it Troy Gregory and the Witches? Um, no, it's uh, it's pre witches. It's just him solo. The it's called Laura, and it's it's okay. it, it's you can't find it. I had to message him and be like, dude, I need a copy of this record. But I'll I'll send you a copy of it. It's it's fucking great. Yeah, I mean Troy Gregory is just like one of those yeah phenomenal people who's surfed just under um, making it big. <laughs> you know, the, I, I don't know how you know how he's not huge, but um, no, dude, it's it's so funny to like prepare for this conversation and think about our our friendship and all the shit we've done together and the the you know the stuff that we've been through and the, the all the different the variant lives that we've lived you know i was um i was driving with my girlfriend and we were listening to mallory and it's um it's so fascinating to go back into that world now post covid because there's so many analogies you know in that work and the and we were driving back from la and we got stuck behind a bluebird school bus and i looked at her and i said you know the guy who wrote this when i met the guy who wrote this book he was living in a bluebird school bus <laughs> and she looked at me and she was like what you know, and, and, it, and that's the correct response. Like, it's fucking incredible, you know, the, um, but it, but also like, um, listening to Mallory, um, and experiencing that work through the lens of our friendship was so fucking rewarding to, um, to hear you writing about Michigan and the upper peninsula and Saginaw and the, um, that, um, that, Michigan and Detroit is um, such a landscape of memory of, of your childhood, of everything you love, of like in your enthusiasm, your engagement with the world. And the and then also the 
the way you write and the there was I kept coming back to the moment in uh, the stand, no, the stand, the talisman, the gunslinger, Stephen King, where um, he like uh, one guy curses a woman that if she ever um, says the number 19, she'll go mad. And then, so she's just trying to be like 17, 18, 20, 17, 18, and, and then yeah. she thinks about it. She says it in her head one time and then she goes crazy, you yeah. know, the, and, and, and then, you know, sort of through that and through Mallory's terror of, of going mad, of her children going mad, of like losing this precarious life that she's built for herself. I could see young Josh pre high strung like reading 1980s paperback Stephen King horror novels and just consuming it like it was fucking sugar water, right? Because I mean, that shit for us, that was just so, it was so powerful. I remember like just reading late in the night with a flashlight under, scaring the shit out of myself, you know? the. I mean, it got to the point where the actual books on the shelf almost like, it seemed like something dangerous was in the room or like a spider yeah. was in the room or like, yeah, like you would like look at the shining on the shelf and it would be like unsettling because you had just read about the woman in the bathtub. Yeah. And, and you're like, then the books, the book's still in your room. So like, there's no, like, you can't just like turn the movie off. It's like sitting there, the spine and the cover and his name. And, uh. and you're thinking about like that woman in the bathroom and you're like, Oh boy. Like I, I need to, like, it's almost like I need to get rid of it, <laughs> but no way would you get rid of it. I think I had skeleton crew Firestarter, the shining. I had the dead zone, but I didn't read it. Um, uh, Cujo for sure. And yep. these were like, they were all uniform too, like black covers with like his like font and, and like just a singular image. And it was, I remember there was a bookstore near where we grew up called book people. I think Chad's buddy worked there for a while when we got older, but anyway, and I would go in there with my mom and I would walk. I mean, you didn't even have, I didn't have to read the section. I knew it was where all the black spines were. Yeah. You know, it was like, that's, that's, that's my, that's the horror section. That's, that's the, I want one of these, anything with a pitch black spine and red title. I was like, that's what I want. That is, (laughs) that is a great name for a band. Black spines. (laughs) That'll be That'll be our next project that we throw shitloads of time and money and effort into to play for uh, 10 to 15 people. Dude, I'm, I'm considering like, I have this four track over like, right. I mean, you can kind of see it right there. Can you see I, I it? love that you have the four track in, in plain sight. And I have the, the reel to reel. Yeah. We, like, and I'm we like have the same room. Out. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, I'm, it's truly mind bending. There's an acoustic guitar. There's a four track. We have a piano and I'm thinking like, Ooh, what about a four track album with like pitch shifted piano, you know, like some, you know, I could, I could play like something like dun, 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 and then just like, I mean, for, for what are we even talking about? I don't know, but I don't, but my mind immediately goes to, it's gotta be a full album. And what are we going to call it? And what's the cover art going to be? And and, you, and this is going to be amazing. You could add it to your list on Wikipedia of albums and it can't, and it can come out in 2022. And I mean, it's like, you know, Derek, there was this like little documentary made about me um, before Bird Box, the movie came out. And in it, Derek says something that kind of like freaked me out a little. He was like, Josh has always been a little bit about numbers with art. And he's like, he doesn't want to write a book. He wants to write a lot. 
He wants to have a lot of books. He wants to have a lot of albums. And it freaked me out at first, right? Because there can sound like something like hollow in there. Like you're only doing it for numbers sake. But then it struck me that like, wait, whatever compels you, whatever gets you to do it is good. Whatever, whether that's guilt of not writing, whether it's trying to outdo your last one, whether it's numbers, whether it's overwhelming feelings that you got to get it on paper, whatever. And the reason I feel this way is because I'm, I've come to this conclusion. Tell me if you agree that the days that you are quote unquote inspired to write are actually no better than the days that you weren't. And, and if you, if you wrote every single day and then you go back and you, you have, you force yourself to write every single day and you go back at the end of the year and you read it all, you're not going to, you will have no idea which days you're quote unquote inspired and felt it and which ones you didn't. So once you come to that realization, well, uh oh, shouldn't I be writing all the time or as much as possible? I kind of see it. I equate this often, um, and I'm sure that you do, uh, to athletics and to running yeah. and, and that kind of thing where, yeah. yeah, you don't feel like doing it today, but if you get it, you got to get up and do it or whatever. Yeah. And so, Yes, Derek is right there. I do have like this like thirst for like, I want to put another album on on, I, on the list. I want to put another book. But it's also coming from this like place of realizing that like, whether I feel it or not, this book or this album will be just as worthy as the album or book before it. The, I, I, I see why you had uh, a, a, like sort of a queasy reaction to that comment. But I, I, I think that it's actually... Um, really beautiful. The, you know, when we think about shows and touring and stuff like that, you know, like what's going to be the best show and it's always the next one, the next one, the next one, you know, that's the one where we're going to transform and the, and you put, um, you know, for, for running, you put a, a bunch, you know, three months of shitty runs together and that leads to your fastest marathon, you know, or, or just your most fun race, you know, the, and I, I don't know. I think it's so admirable that, you know, for me, I wanted to write a book and the, I think it's so admirable that you wanted to have a body of work, but, but also every, every song of yours that I've listened to every book that I've read, you write it like it's your last one. Oh yeah. And uh, I imagine you are the same in, in that you, you give it your all, you're a hundred percent and you're invested. I, there was one that I went back to and I like, cause I was like, Oh, I'm going to rewrite this. This one maybe could be the next novel to come out. And I was kind of like astonished at how like flat it was. There was one um, it's called a nightmare got in. And I love the idea. I'll just tell you real fast. Cause it's fun. It's um to like you, you go to, over to a friend's house, you're a kid and, and you, the mom's always telling you to play in the basement. You too, you know, and upstairs you kind of hear while you're playing video games, you hear the parents arguing and then you kind of smell sage the next time. And then you hear a bunch of people up there. And then essentially it leads to an entire like exorcism of a house, but off screen uh, upstairs while wow. the two main characters are in the basement. So you overhear an exorcism of a house. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I fucking love this, you know? And I wrote it with all this like fervor, it felt like, but when I went back and read it, it was really flat. Like what I mean by that with writing is, is when you get to, and then, 
and then, and then, and then when you get to that vibe, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What were you? And maybe I was like tired. Maybe Allison and I were like touring for the books a lot at that period. I don't remember. So anyway, the point is I do, and I'm sure you feel the same way with your own stuff. I do have like, like the Boston Guardian parquet floor. There's a couple of dead spots, right? Where you're like, do we fix this? Or is that kind of part of the charm? Like, you know, it's like, just like- That was little. such a specific analogy. So great. And it's like, the ball, didn't, the ball didn't bounce back off that one. Hmm, I guess we're gonna have to do that one again from scratch. But in a general sense, and even with that one, definitely try to like give it your all you know you do the same thing yeah the i try to i don't know i there are you know there have been a lot of times where i feel like i've come up short or i've gotten distracted with other things you know the um one of the things i've sort of been processing lately is um my friend mark lanigan died and oh, yeah, i'm sorry man the thank you the it one of the things about that guy is that he would just wake up in the morning and grab a pen and go for it. And if there wasn't a pen there, it, a pencil, a crayon, a stick to scratch in the dirt, you know, the, there were no obstacles between him and the work. And before I can sit down to work, I'm like, well, I need to clean my room and then I need to organize my tape collection. And then I need to alphabetize my socks and then I will be ready to, you know, so putting every um, every obstacle I can between myself and that uncomfortable moment where you're staring at a blank page and you're like, it's like sound check. You're like, I, it's like English becomes a second language. You know, you're just like, I, no, I, have, I have no ideas. I have no words. Everything I've said, I've said before, I can hear my own voice in my head. I'm so sick of my voice. The, um, you know, and all this negative negativity creeps in and, um, and Lanigan had none of that. It just, you know, he was like, uh, a superconductor, like the shit just flowed through him. I, I'm not, I feel weird saying this on the heels of what you just said, but I'm like him on that. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I almost feel like, I think Owen one time said to me that like, he, he doesn't like just great movies. He also likes spectacular failures. Uh -huh. And it made me think, you know, when I sit down to write, like, okay, what's, you know, I'm, the best book I ever read, the worst book I ever read, what, if I break the spectrum on either side with what I sit down and do now, that's going to, this is going to be legendary. So, and if I don't, it's going to end up somewhere on the spectrum of, of things I've read and love, you know? So there's always this sense of like, you're going to be fine. It's better to do it than to not. It's, um, you, you may achieve the best thing you've ever done. You may not either way it adds. And even if it's a lemon, it adds to the body of work. Stephen King has lemons. Alfred Hitchcock has lemons where you're like, yeah, that Hitchcock movie is all right. You know, uh, you know, and then you're like, wait, I'm talking about like one of the greatest filmmakers ever. And I'm saying that, well, okay, then isn't it okay if your story is a little short or if my book's a little short? Well, yeah, it is. So I've seen people like um, on Twitter, they'll be like, you know, talking about imposter syndrome. And I just, I do, I have never felt that. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the size thing. Uh -huh. Like if there's no size, if there's no bigger or this, you know, uh, or, or this guy was born for this or th this woman's voice is so great and mine's terrible. It's like, if you don't think of things in those terms, then you'll never feel like an imposter. You think that any, there's room for everybody, number one, and anybody can do this if they put in the work and time. So, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm a little more like him, but I also a little more like you, what you just described in that I find myself doing that too. I'm like, well, uh, maybe I should do this first and I should, you know, I was going to do this after, but why don't I watch this movie first? It's very important that I watch this movie before I write. <laughs> Well, hi. Uh, as many of you know, I've been very reluctant to start a podcast. It feels a little bit like uh, the MLM art form, sort of like it's the emotional equivalent. You, me urging you to listen to my podcast is the emotional equivalent of uh, trying to sell you Amway. Um, but since I have you here, let me try and sell you something else. The, um, obviously, the podcast doesn't make any money and hopefully never will. Um, but it gives me an opportunity to shill for the other, uh, the other things that I do, that I have been doing, that I continue to do. Um, I have T-shirts, records, CDs. Does anybody listen to CDs anymore? I don't. Um, the, I, do you need a car, a guitar? I'll sell you anything. Um, but I also want to sell you my book. I just self-published a collection. It's sort of the 10-year collection of all my best-selling Kindle singles um, that I published with Amazon. And uh, I will, one by one, I'm going to read you the blurbs off the back of the book. Uh, today, of course, we're going to feature a blurb by my friend Josh Mallerman, New York Times best-selling author of Bird Box and Pearl. Mishka Shabali loves existence as much as he loathes it. For this, we get the grunge and the glory, the funny and the fear. There's a sense here that Shabali took the stairs to life's basement, touched the concrete floor to be sure he knew where it was, before beginning the magnificent climb up, often laughing at his own propensities, full of grit, guts, spirit, and truth. Is there a better storyteller than the one who has lived as many lives as this? You will relish the spectrum, the gamut, the life Mishka Shabali has lived. Josh, such a beautiful blurb. Thank you. Um, if you're listening, please buy a copy of the book. Uh, you can find me on all over social media. I'm at Mishka Shabali on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, it's 30 bucks postage paid in the U.S., Send it to me through Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, Carrier Pigeon. You get the deal. The I, I, I do have to tell you the um obviously you know that I love you dearly. And also I've always been so deeply resentful of the um how how facile the the work was to you the the rate at which you wrote songs you would just grab a guitar and be like okay this is this is going to be a song i'm just going to strum and then the next chord and then oh okay that's a thing and then i'm going to put that thing with this other thing you know and the um and your songwriting always seemed to to feel so free of anxiety for me where the I would learn a, you know one of your songs and I, I was like oh man it's just a one four five pro progression but the way that he plays it and the way that they play it 
it sounds brand new because you guys always performed with such enthusiasm, such vigor. And the, and I can see that in your writing too, you know, the reading your writing, listening to your writing. I'm like, Josh is having a great fucking time right now. He's like sitting there at the, you know, at the typewriter or the computer, like tapping his foot because he's so excited, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like just, uh, you know, oh, oh, this sentence and then the next one. And then, you know, the, and I mean, down to us traveling in the bus together and you being able to read because it, when I read in the car, I get, uh, I get car sick. And the, I was like, God, this motherfucker, he can read on the bus. He can write on the bus. He's working, you know, so hard all the time. And, uh, and I was like, just, you know, bullshitting with, you know, with Chad or Derek or Mark, you know, the, um, but it's, I don't know. It's so rewarding now to, to know an artist who still now after this massive body of work takes such delight in his work. Man, no. dude, see, I, I'm going to turn this around and say the same thing to you. It's like we met you, you said 20 years ago. We met me in 03. Uh, yeah, I guess it was spring yeah. of 03. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause we met at, um, we met at uh, Blackout Fest in Athens. Oh, yeah. That's what it was. Yep. Yeah. I was about to say CMJ. I knew it was like a fest. Yeah. And same thing to you. Like we, went on like pulled off what we felt like was an impossible to uh beat feet of endurance on the road and you were going forever after you're still touring regularly oh. you're still going out regularly you're still writing songs and albums regularly i was and then oftentimes i'm like jealous of that i'll be like man mishka's fucking going on the road and chad and my men me will talk about it, like i have no idea if the show that you play that night that I see you're playing, I have no idea if it was good, bad, crap, doesn't matter. I know that it's fucking awesome that you're do that you're doing it and that you're there and you're probably loving every second of it. It, you know, it is incredibly valuable, I think, to have friends who are artists who you're jealous of. I've I've yeah. always I've always felt bad about that, but it just occurred to me that virtually everyone who I've had on the podcast is, you know, an artist who I'm friends with, who I've been jealous of their work, their life, the, um, but also the man, if you surrounded yourself with people who you looked at their lives and you were like, well, I've got him beat. <laughs> like what, a, <laughs> what a prick you would be and what a dull life that is. Like the, yeah, that sounds, wow. That sounds I'm going to, I might, or maybe you'll use it, but I want to use that somewhere in a book, like a character that thinks that way is just, Ooh, that is evil. Or, or just like. That's, muddy. that's, a, that's a character who is begging for comeuppance, you know, <laughs> yeah. to just have it turned. Yeah. That guy's, that guy, that guy's going to at one point step into the twilight zone. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is like the dude in uh thinner, you yeah. know, the, that he, he definitely feels like uh, everyone should be jealous of him. The, um, Let's well, go ahead. Okay. This is interesting. And, and I, I, I truly feel like every, every thing you're bringing up right now, I, I could talk for like an hour on, I know, um, I know. <laughs> but this envy thing, because I feel like it is a little different now. Like it used to be, we would see some uh, posters of a band or maybe you'd hear about a band doing well or something, or, you know, you're in town at the same time or some, someone's talking about another band, but now like you're literally like in your field or whatever. So for me, like writing horror or whatever, like literally every day you're seeing 
how well or, or announcements or whatever from other writers in the field yeah. every day. And you're like, this one is announcing like a movie deal. This one is announcing a new book deal. This one just finished a novel. This one is starting a novel. This one is just put out their debut novel. This one learned how to like self-publish and it's working great. This one has an amazing cover art. It's almost like, wow, you have to like, it's almost unnatural. Well, it's definitely unnatural. What we're like the way we're witnessing all this, but it's also almost unnatural to ask yourself not to have those like stabs of like envy, those stabs of, of jealousy. Like, so what I try to do is like the moment will happen and it'll be like, right. And then just like, let it, and then let it get out of here. Let it fade. Like yeah. let it fade into, as you said at the beginning, dude, you are blessed. You are lucky. You are writing books. There's room for everybody. Like dude, do your thing. Keep doing your thing. And also be happy. That person's doing their thing, but there is that initial, you can't, you can't deny it. There is that initial sort of stab of it. And it's like, man, because you're seeing like, and then you're like, am I doing something wrong? It's just natural to equate someone's success to like, are you doing it right as well? Yeah. I, but I try to minimize it down to like, like a pinch on the arm or like, or a friend socked you in the shoulder. Just let's try to keep that as small a feeling as we can. <laughs> the, I, I feel like for me, I have to feel it and sort of explore it and, and express it. The, the, you know, the best, the best, fastest way for me to get over it is, is to tell my friends how jealous I feel about them. The, and then once, once I feel that, then I can move on to the next thing, which is I'm so fucking proud of you, dude. I'm yeah. so, I'm so, so proud of you. You have worked so fucking hard for so long and you've always cared about it and you've always been so invested but also you were always totally engaged with you with your friends with your family with people around you with people you cared about with with different fans in different towns and, and different scenes you know i mean i think of like the relationship that we have with scott winland you mm -hmm. know that to say he's a friend in no way does that encompass the the depth of the relate you know the the relationship that we've had with him and the the way we've sort of moved li through life together with him you know he's he's almost like the man on the mountain you know go and consult the oracle and yeah. the um but to see you be able to to generate so much work so much and so much good work and also be a real fucking person and be a good person who's engaged in their life and not the, you know, not some shut away. The, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm super fucking proud of you. I like the, you know, every time I see yeah. your name on a new book, I'm like that motherfucker, like kudos to Josh. Yeah, like, man. Uh, same to you. And this look in your, someone was telling me never start a sentence with a look or listen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's so all we're going to do like, from here I on like, out. Oh, God. And I can't remember which story of yours, but there's the thing. It's funny. I mean, a lot of it's fucking hilarious, but there's the one where it's saying that, like, the musician is something like the same age, like, like same age expectations as a porn star. So when you're, like, <laughs> 22, you should be at the top of your game. Yeah. <laughs> By 27, you're, like, on the way out or whatever. <laughs> and I remember, um, I remember we were in Athens, Georgia actually and 
we were 27 because in 03, we were 28. Wow. In 03, we were 28. The high strung were 28. Chad was 26, I guess. But, and I remember a girl saying to Owen, we were only on the road for one year at that point. I remember a girl saying, Owen, you guys are playing a young man's game. You're only 28 years old. When I see yeah. a 28 year old now, they look like they seem like a child. And yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like, wow, you know, I, the world has changed a bit in that way. But I want to bring something up to see what you what you make of this. Like, so the high strong just remixed and mastered an old album that we made. Yeah, yeah, I saw times. that. But then we also because I think we were I, all I, think I have a that, CD of that somewhere. Oh, you do well. It sounds way better now. I'll, yeah. I'll send it to you. Awesome. Um, because it was like, it, it, God, I love it. But anyway, and because we were all working on that, we ended up making a new album together also. So we recorded that in my house. Like, I'll oh, let's just tag another well. album on the back of this one that we're. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> they're just happening accidentally now. <laughs> so <laughs> that sometimes the books are like that. But anyway, so. Mark and I were talking. I'm not speaking for Mark because I don't know if he would agree with this, but but we did. I did bring this up to him that in a weird way, it's I'm glad we never had that like pour some sugar on me moment because <laughs> if you had, you would literally always be comparing it to. And I brought up your story because like what you did when you were 22, 23, or whatever. But we never have had like um, uh, what do you call it? Like a period, I feel like we've never had a period that was better or worse than what was before it. So it's always been, that's not to paint the picture of some lame, you know, uh, uh, practical middle ground. I just feel like it's like we are able to now make an album with the same fresh, why the hell not, as we did then. Because what are we comparing this to? Like life on the road? Yeah, that's pretty romantic. When we first met, yes, that's pretty romantic. But how about... The first, this is the first time I've ever owned a house and we're recording it in my house. And yeah. we're also um, like the sense of like, wow, we're in our 40s and we all are still madly in love with each other and we're making another album. That's pretty fucking awesome too. So there doesn't seem to be a period that outshines the period before it. And for that, we are able to now like completely cleanly make a new album and not be feeling like, oh, well, now nah, we might as well do another. It's like, no, it's the same like, hey, Owen, how many songs you got? I got this many. And then what if we did this with this? And then, you know, and oh, what if we bring in this guy and we're all like too serious about a fucking guitar overdub? You know, it's the same exact thing. And so I wonder, and I'm asking you too, it's not like saying like, thank God we never made any money or, or never became famous. It's, it's not quite that. But it's like, it is saying like, I do wonder if there's something to be said about the artistic career that is just fucking steady like that versus this like like peaks and valleys like is would we all still be together and excited to make another album if we did have the pour some sugar on me moment the so i I think what you're positing is it's better to be uh a never was than a has been because like to to describe ourselves as never was the sounds harsh but it means our best moment is still ahead of us, that there's still that potential. You know, the, um, I think about a band like the Strokes, you know, who I've, I've always been tremendously envious of the, um, they putting out records. Now people are like, Oh, you know, oh, the, the Strokes, they're sort of like, and, um, is this it cover band, 
you know, yeah. the, um, and you know, don't get me wrong. I, I would love to be in that band and have that career and have that trajectory, um, in a heartbeat, but the, it's, I, we can make it. I think we can make an argument that our pour some sugar on me moment is still ahead of us, that it's, yeah. that there's oh. still the potential there to achieve that. And then also you and I are moving into like old man strength now, you know, where mm -hmm. you, you shake your dad's hand or whatever. And you're like, motherfucker, you're like, <laughs> you're going to break my hand. You know, that he's got that, like, you know, it's like, why are you still this strong? Like the, you know, yeah. and the, I, I always said that, I mean, maybe this is just because I, I felt like a failure when I was younger, but I always said that I was on the howling wolf model that I was going to make my best music, like in my fifties and sixties. Well, the okay, man, so much to say about this, but like, first of all, it seems like never before has the world been um, like makes that uh, more accessible than now, meaning there's room for everyone like you can easily imagine a band now, a rock band even, putting out an album at like 60 years old that like succeeds in this internet dome, whatever. Yeah. Like it, it used to be like, you had to be 22, like you were saying about the porn star, <laughs> but it isn't like that anymore. It really isn't. I'm like debut authors are typically in their forties. And I mean, there's a, we, there's a million examples of these kind of things, but I think another thing that um, is like exemplified through this career rather than just your best moments ahead of you is like you, there's no question why we're doing this. We just love it. There's just no question. It, it, if it was for fame, then you would have stopped a long time ago. If it was yeah. for like a ton of money, you would have stopped a long time ago. If it was for, so obviously you're just thrilled by it. And that is something that you can believe or think when you're 25, but you don't know there's you don't have that proof of that till you are about the age we are now and you're like holy shit owen and i are like calling each other nervously going over the song order like we fucking were in 1998 it, that is the best to to when you were talking about hannah you were like um you know, going through eight different thoughts, but you still at one point paused and you were like oh it's so great the and that's the thing is that to be able to 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 continue to be your first fan this late in the game and not feel like oh another record oh another song or yeah. you know, hannah's an old record you know and to to look back on it and be like oh god the things we said then we'd never say now you know the or, or uh, i was going through a weird phase at that point or whatever you know the um to still have to still care so much you know, um, you know, that you and, you know, imagine you and Mark, you know, text texting late at night, the same way, uh, you know, kids had the fucking tin can telephone or walkie talkies or whatever, yep. you know, the, um, talking about girls or the big game coming up or whatever, you know, the, um, and for us, it was, you know, four tracks in the album order and stuff like that. The, to still care so much at this point, um, that it causes you anxiety. That's a right. It's a great. There's thing. no sense of like, oh, Mark, who cares? You just do it. Like, no. Here's another. I, and I'm flying all over now, but here's another thing that you definitely can relate to too. This is interesting because we're there's two worlds we're straddling, right? And the music world, while it's definitely changed, 
there is still like a sense, at least our generation was, 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 uh, it was pounded into our brains that the musician, the band's supposed to be young. Whereas the, so in the, on the music side, you and I are still doing it on the writing side. We're of age. Yeah. Like, like Dave, like I said, Dave, you now like novelist. I remember there was recently, um, Joe Hill, Stephen King's son was talking about an author and he's like, he was like, he's one of the better young guys on the scene. And the guy was 50 that he's talking about. And it's like that. And so there's a strange dichotomy there too, where in the book world, I'm like somewhat fresh face, you know, guy in the horror world still, because these other people have been there for like 30, 40 years. And on the music side, it's like, you're still doing it. So there's a strange juggling act there an identity juggling act where I have to kind of like step back from both and, and, and just be like, you know, these, these titles, these descriptions, um, old for this young for that. N- neither of these matter. All that matters again is this body of work and like keep going and, and just be grateful. This is happening at all, but it is a bit of an identity screw to be old in one medium and like young in the other. Yeah. It's the, it feels so weird to say this because I feel like there are so many points in our lives where we feel like felt like we were just like lost and had like fucked everything up completely, but we did it right of just the God. When I moved to New York, I was so, I, I was so insecure and I was so arrogant. You know, I remember um, telling myself that I was going to get signed by a major label, get published in one of the big three, like the, you know, Harper's the Atlantic or the New Yorker. Um, and get a book deal by the time I was 25. And now I'm like, thank fucking God I didn't. No, because I, I would be I would be dead or washed up or just, you know, just done with all of it. The and you know, now to be now to be the old guy at the gig, like um you know, telling, telling the kids like, oh yeah, no, if you, if you string your guitar like this, it'll stay in tune better or whatever, you know, or the, or showing them how to set up a guitar or, you know, or how to book a tour or shit like that. Man, yeah. it, it feels so good to be paying back into, you know, the pool where we, I remember hanging out backstage and, and just like, uh, grilling mick from dirt bombs like you know well and then how do you do this and and what you know how did this work and you know the and he just sat there and talked to me you know and and he he was more than happy you know that that you would meet these artists on the road who were happy to tell you everything that they knew you know the so it sounds so weird to say but we were right to to go crazy and to fucking hit it hard when we were you know when we were young and we were right to to move into writing um, when we did, and we're right to keep fucking going and to to keep making music. And you know, so, some of my favorite records are the, you know, just somebody who's just croaking. Uh, Fred Eaglesmith is, you know, he's I think he's probably like seventy now, you know. And the the earliest records of his that I've gotten into, you know, he was probably over fifty. And the Andy Andrist has this great joke where he talks about like, you know, why do we put 18 year old kids in the military? Like they have nothing to be angry about yet. A man in his forties, just tell me what, give me a gun and tell me what color to shoot at. (laughs) (laughs) Like, because the, you know, I thought I was angsty when I was a kid, man. I've like, I'm 
full of like just rage and venom now like you know out like hosing down my driveway just scowling at uh, fuck you man <laughs> you know like I just, oh, shit man yeah the, moving into that like just crusty like old man energy the and I, man I, I love it you know the and also i i think i have so much less anxiety now than i did when i was when i was a young man so yeah. the i will go out and like just fucking play with my dog and lay on the ground and like the um walk around my neighborhood it gets so hot here dude if i i you know i know that i can't wear like a dashiki but if i could wear like a muumu or like just the something that's something that's long flowing robes that's not like insensitive cultural appropriation i will do that if it'll keep me cool in the summertime and just like just float through my neighborhood like that i don't give a shit you know they already think i'm fucking crazy the and i I couldn't have done that when I was, when I was 25, when I was 27, you know, I sometimes in interviews, I'll, uh, someone will ask, you know, like, um, how did the movie bird box like change you? You know, you, um, you, your book became a bestseller. You were able to buy a house, all these like, holy shit things. And it's like every single time I, I like, actually, I try to examine that. I'm like, okay, how has it, you know, am I like walking around town? Like, yes, I'll have a martini, you know? No. And it's like, well, that movie didn't come out until I was 43 or 44 years old. Like I'm, I was almost insulated against the kind of things that I feel like that question suggests. How has it changed you? You know, I guess you could, it could be for the better, um, but it sort of suggests something else to me, but that's all right. But it, but the point is, I mean, for dude, all those shows that you and us played and writing books in a van and just doing it and going and going. I had a girl met me at um, this bar. There was a five-year run where me and a bunch of friends were, it's one of the greatest periods of my life where we were like six nights a week at this bar in the Detroit area. And it was amazing. I wrote a bunch of books there and the high strung played there. And it was just a real electrifying drunk period in our thirties. Right. And at some point, a, a girl from high school met me there during the afternoon. She asked to meet me there. And we're sitting at this like high top. And she's like, I came here to tell you that I, I feel like you need a plan B. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. You know, uh, what, that's why we're meeting up right now, you know? And she was like, yeah, like you're, you're, you're writing all these books. Like, how many have you written? Uh, written? And I was like, uh, so like 12 or something, you know? She's like, Jesus, man. And you're like, you're playing all these shows and you're drinking with your friends and you're unmarried and you don't have kids. And you're like, it's kind of got to a point where you, you may have to think of a plan B. Like, what are you doing with yourself? And even then in the, like, like, like facing what I guess you could argue would be the practical world embodied in this one female at this high top in a bar in Michigan. I was like, no, 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 I'm doing it right. <laughs> like even then, I was like, no, 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 no. I didn't. I, I wasn't for one second like, oh shit, maybe I do need to. Hmm. And then I start looking at like accounting school. Like no, I was like, no, she she doesn't get or she not in any even in a mean way. She just she does isn't able to see like the beauty or like holy shit greatness of this path. Yeah. And you and I, like you said, blessed and lucky. Like no shit, but also back to that if you stay in motion you're going to end up somewhere that that this idea of momentum i see it more as we did it right like you're saying and, and we have to keep doing it right i hope you feel incredible gratitude 
to this woman because the I think you and I are good at recognizing how sweet our lives have been and we're good at pointing out to each other how lucky we are but she just posited an argument far more compelling than one that either of us could make as to how you've made the right decisions and how you've how you've chosen the right path and how you became who you you were the entire time the you've always been this guy the um it, it would feel ingenuine for me to ask how bird box changed you because right. I, right. I, I, never I, ask, I can't right. see i can't like see a single fucking so bizarre. thing that's, i feel like you're wearing the same hat you were wearing in 2003 <laughs> you were like sleeping in the only thing different is like it's a collar shirt instead of a t-shirt <laughs> that, everything yeah. like i even have cowboy boots over here but and then and then stretch this over to chad who my God, is like making albums in his basement. Yeah. And and Owen, who I just went and saw Owen sing with a friend of ours named Jim. I uh, just saw them do like a harmony duo, like a few songs Mark wrote and a few songs Jim wrote. And they're singing at this like garden in Detroit for like, uh, well, it was actually the kind of a lot of people there. But like, like I'm like, Owen is like, and he's nervous to do it. And I'm talking to him beforehand and you can tell he's a little riled up and he, we're talking about the PA sound after and like, oh, that vocal sound could have been a little better. And, and like, you know, Chad was there at the gig and Steven couldn't make it, but Steven who's um, recording, he, he's the, he, I don't, I don't think you've met Steven. Yeah, yeah, the it's. I always think of him as the new guy and he's been playing uh, with you guys for like 15 years or- Yeah, he's been for like <laughs> tw- 10 years, 10 years. Okay. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. No, it is, oh my God. I know, like right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Anyway, and he's like recording songs and plays in another band and doing like scales all the time and shit. And I'm like, all these guys are like, this is what this is who they are. Yeah. And, and I think maybe that's you know, this is almost like um like a happy twilight zone to think of it this way. Like maybe that's why you and us became friends. Because like we recognize like birds of a fe- of a feather, like we recognize that in each other. Like this is this guy's genuine, not the real deal. Like like um um like some cutthroat, you know, uh, you know, musician who's gonna make this scene. No, someone who's actually doing this and going to do this forever, just like we are. Maybe we yeah. recognize that even then. Well, I, I think there was useful useful dissonance too. Because you guys were were so um, relentlessly positive, and that's something that I've always struggled with. Um, the but we and and musically we were very different. The but I, I think what was you know what was so important to us was just making something that was real. That was just saying exactly what we needed to say in the moment, regardless of whether anybody gave a shit or not. Um, and the, and, you know, there's so many like speaking our truths or whatever the fuck, you know, the, but um, just being in that moment, exactly who we were um, being able to look in the mirror and recognize yourself. You know, that there have been so many times in my life where I didn't the, and um, I guess, you know, writing songs, um, writing stories when it works, it is like, yeah, it is like looking in a mirror and seeing details of yourself that maybe you didn't recognize before. Yeah. But, um, let me, let's talk the real quickly about Bird Box and Mallory and that world. 
and that experience the do you, now that we're in you know the you know uh love in the time of covid or you know whatever whatever weird amorphous time period we're in now the um how do you re reflect back because there's i i couldn't listen to mallory without thinking about the you know um the analog between the 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 fold and the mask and the but but then <laughs> i was like the i was like oh i wanted to pitch i want to pitch mallory to uh to josh as uh oh it's a horror novel it's about um two innocent children and their nightmare of a helicopter mother um and yeah. they're trying to escape her so they can live their own <laughs> yeah. fucking lives you know the, <laughs> like yeah there's, there's like a great moment where sort of like mallory's like oh god i'm such a bitch and i can't and i have to be to keep my kids alive you know yeah the um but there, it's it's so you know the that they're what keeps them alive and keeps them safe and keeps them sane is um, is blindness is not seeing the truth, you know. And I think that's how a lot of like QAnon people see us of like, you know, take off your mask and free yourself, you know. And, yeah. and like the Democratic Party is run by pedophiles and like all this shit where it's like, what, man? <laughs> like, the, <laughs> like I, what, you know? The, I know. Uh, I know. No, my God, we could, there's a fucking five hour talk about that shit, but I will, I, I will say one of the strangest, like I didn't realize this until after, obviously I wrote Mallory before, obviously. Yeah. But it's weird because Mallory is our conservative and she's super pro mask. And Tom is our total, the Tom, the kid for any yeah. listeners that maybe read for box. Tom is our super progressive, but he's, he's not anti-mask, but he's like, we can, like, there's a way, way better way to do this. Right. So in a bizarre way, I can see like, like almost accidentally, like both sides can misinterpret it to be like relating to them because Mallory's our, cause like, she's absolutely the voice of reason here. And like, I, I don't know about you, but I would take Mallory's opinion over anyone else in that book. Like if I, if I ended up in that world, I'd yeah, be like, yeah. where's fucking, where is she? I'm going to do whatever <laughs> she says. I don't care if that means I have to sit still for the rest of my life with a blindfold on. I'm going to do it. She's the Scott Winland of the book. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to her. And, but Tom, he's also right. And that, and that town that they're <clears throat> Indian river and like the, the notes from there sound like horrifying, but also like, how the fuck else are we going to get through this? In a way, those notes are describing herd immunity. Well, and then, and then, and then Olivia is one of those people who just never gets COVID. Right. Right. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? Why have you been passed over? You know, yeah. the, I mean, I think part of it is the, the large scale psychic scarring, you know, the psychic scarring that we've all endured from, you know, COVID and lockdown and stuff like that, you know, and it's funny, Mallory has this beautiful rant about like, you've taken the world from us. You've taken, um, you know, looking out the window or, or staring, you know, you know, looking at the scenery or the, and what COVID took from us was each other. We've, yep. we've all been, you know, just isolation and separation. And we, the, 
I don't think there's a single one of us who didn't fucking underestimate how much we need other people, whether it's yep. the, the dude at the bodega whose name you never learned, but he's like your buddy, you know, that um, you would do anything for him. The two, you know, our loved ones, our parents, you know, our, our brothers and sisters, you know, the, our closest friends, the um, it's wild, dude. It's, I mean, it's so wild that you generated this work that, it, uh, fiction that speaks more truth about not just about our world, but about the world that was coming, you know, it's, it's so prescient. Yeah. When I, then we had, um, it, cause all the readings we do are like theatrical readings. Right. And we had this amazing thing set up at the Detroit zoo where there's a train that goes around the zoo, you know, like, I mean, it's not just for kids. It, it'll take you from one end to the other. And we rented it. And we were going to have everyone blindfolded on the train. And I was going to read the book through the speaker. I mean, what an awesome idea, right? And it would stop. It would make a few stops on the way. And at those stops, Allison and others would be, would perform a scene unseen to the people on the train. They would hear an event to the right of them and then hear an event. And then it all led up to like, there was like, there's a um, sort of like a movie theater thing in the zoo. It all led up to like a reception there. Like we all hang out and drink and stuff. So that was all planned. And that's one of the last things we did before everything shut down was went to the zoo to like make sure of it and, and blah, blah. And then there was the lockdown like two weeks later or something. So that reading was like canceled. And from the get go, it all, and I'm, you know, just like you watching the NBA cancel and this cancel and then masks are, what are they masks? What are you talking about? Like, like I've only ever seen like kind of like an old person wearing a mask walking around, you know, like, you know, yeah. and then, like, and it started to feel like, whoa, I have this book coming out that suddenly felt like you, one, you could argue, um, you could argue like, wow, what timing? The other one is, oh God, what time? Who the fuck wants to read this right now? <laughs> yeah. So it was like, oh man, I don't know exactly what to do with this. You know, I, I started to get nervous. My original idea for Mallory. And now that I think about this, it's like, I almost wish that I had done this was I wanted the whole book to be her in that hole. Like, oh my God. I almost wanted the entire novel to be, I mean, it's not a conversation between her and a creature because the creature doesn't, maybe isn't even there, but essentially it's like her, like, like a fucking 300 pages of railing against them, what they stole from her, you know? And I'm like, yeah, God, yeah. that is badass, but that is, that's, so that's not an easy thing to maintain, man. You would need cutaways. You would need this, you know? Yeah. The, I mean, that's like Beckett too. I mean, like, but that's what I love about it. Yeah. And, yeah and I mean, maybe one day I would do a book three that has something similar to that. I don't know, but I don't know. The, it's, it's yeah, listening to Mallory too. There, there's just, there's so much. The book is so full of dread and anxiety that I kept having to turn it off. And then I'd be like, well, I got to fucking, I got to know. And I would turn it back on and I'm like, ah, I can't, no, I can't deal with this right now. And like, you know, have to turn it back off the, um, the we'll wrap up here in a minute, but the two, two other things the when the movie bird box dropped and it was instantly fucking everywhere, the, um, I kept seeing like memes pop up and it was just the, and what I imagined was you just giggling through the whole thing, like that, you know, it being so funny to you and so, enter, you know, entertaining 
the um but how was that was it so bizarre was it so weird i like i know when when the long run hit i was just like and it fucking it leapfrogged over dean Koontz and stephen king to to go to number one and i was like i just dethroned stephen that's that's fucking bullshit man are you crazy like no this is yeah yeah no fucking wild right it it, it felt like um standing at the head of like a wind tunnel like a like a giant air air blower dryer like like against yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like what is going on here and it kept increasing and increasing um allison and i we held like a, a party the night it came out on netflix we rented the, it used to be like an old like ford showroom or something so there's like seats like 70 seats fold out chairs in this like little office kind of, you know what I mean? Like a corporate showroom or something, but there's a screen. So on the screen, you know, we invited a bunch of friends. There were drinks and food and we watched this movie. And then the next day, maybe Alice and I drove to the UP. So it was like eight hours North. We got there. We're like doing our thing. At some point we go to bed and I woke up and like a thousand notifications and stuff. And I was like, whoa, what's, wow, I guess the movie's been a while or something. And, it, and so we were up north when this whole thing happened for like, we were up there for like 10 or 11 days, which is about the, no, I guess it was longer than that, but no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because on the drive home, this is where it sort of all peaks out for us. On the drive home, we were in like an ice storm and we were like moving really slow. And my agent called to say that, dude, Bird Box is on, is number four on the bestseller list. And it was like, oh, what? That was the moment where it was like, you know, uh, oh, this is unbelievable. Oh, this is so weird. Kim Kardashian's tweeting about you. Know, and Stephen King said the but Bird Box on the New York Times bestseller list changed something. That was like, oh, like, wait, that's not whether that means shit or not. And whether how many of that sells or sold or not. I mean, that is like it means I've been something buying books my entire life and seeing New York Times bestselling author and this and that. So that moment was like something like profound or something, you know, that yeah. was fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and you you're describing the same thing. It's like, you're like, what do you mean? I'm number one. Like, what does that even what? What does that even mean? But but then at the same time, why not? Why not you and I? Why not? Yeah. There, I mean, there's you know such a sense of like unreality about it. But the, but the, you know, there's a, a great lesson there that um, that perhaps you and I aren't the best judges of our own merits, and that you know we need to struggle to to see the the guy, the person, the writer that you know who other people see the and um, for for people reading Bird Box, the none of them were like. Oh, I can't believe this book is on the, is on the bestseller list. They were like, I can't believe it isn't number one, you know, or it was like the, um, of course, you know, finally Josh Mallerman is getting his due, you know, like, you know, your hardcore fans from like back in the day, the, yeah. you know, so it's, it's, I'll never get used to it, you know? And I think I, I like, I forget it at every turn. Yeah, I know. I know, the, dude, it, it's so weird. I have moments like that too, where I, I go back into thinking about exactly the stuff I've always thought about and the same worries, the same hopes, the same whatever. And then it'll cross my mind. I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh my God. Like bro, you're best, you're a best-selling author or, or you have a move, you know, there's other dude, there's other move. There's like, a bunch of other movie stuff happening right now. Yeah, yeah. I um, 
you're 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 a master of the like uh, elliptical tweet but the it's uh I, i'm always like oh fuck what's what's coming next you know the well um, it, it's like i don't know if you have stuff like this as well but it's it's one of like the most frustrating parts of this whole thing for me is that we just can't talk about these things like i know i know i know it drives me nuts because it's like we're not come on we're not talking about fort knox here we're not talking about the we're not talking about the code for your luggage man we're just talking about (laughs) we're just talking about like possibly a movie being made like it's okay to fucking talk about this you know and it drives me absolutely bonkers but you know if I say something, then I could be upsetting someone and then the project's jeopardized. So I end up not saying it, but this is something that I talked to my manager about endlessly. Like but one time we even tried to leak something and failed. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I might tweet about that later. Cause that's funny. Like we tried to leak something and it didn't, it didn't fucking work. <laughs> the, um, all right, two things. And then we'll get out of here. Um, one thing is just something I want to share with you because the, you mentioned something about the Ford theater and the, I've gotten into sort of like old cars since I've been out here and I actually just sold a 1960 Ford Falcon yesterday, beautiful car, the, and I have a 1969 F250, which is the, um, a gorgeous nightmare, but the, do you know what Fordite is? Have you, have you heard this before? Mm-hmm. I've heard that so word. I don't know. The, in the, you know, in the plants in Detroit, the, in the painting rooms, they would, um, you know, they, they, you know, do a bunch of cars in this color and then hose the room down and then do a bunch of cars in this color and then hose the room down. And all that paint went down the drain and then stuck to the sides of the drain. And then, you, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, you know, if the drain finally like sealed up, the they would go and have to go and chip that out. So it's an artificial man-made stone just of a million different colors of Ford paint over the ages. That's the, cool. And uh, I don't know if Allison needs a pair of Fordite earrings or that needs to appear in one of your stories that, you know, because I mean, there, there is a metaphor there for, for New York and Detroit and all that, you know, of things yeah. sort of constantly rewriting themselves, you know, the, um, but I love that, you know, as somebody who loves handmade stuff and, and, you know, and also the, the runoff, the, the, you know, the, the, the refuse, the, the remains of this shit became a gem you know the um great story of sort of like reclamation there the last question what what are you excited about next you don't have to leak a thing you don't have to spill the beans but what what song are you excited to write what story are you excited to write what album what album uh, album order the um just tell me about you know, a thing that you have coming up that you're excited okay. About. Yeah, uh, I got a, a few. I want to do that four track piano thing. I don't know what that means yet, but I know I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking do it. Um, I'm Owen and I, me, Owen and Chad, um, made and Derek and Stephen weren't able to be around, so we recorded the music to like 18 songs where Chad plays drums, I play bass, and Mark plays guitar, and I freaking love this batch of songs. So I'm excited for that. I'm shooting a movie, but that sounds crazier than it is. It's going to be about like a, like a week long experience here at my house. And it's 
black and white and it's about um four like occult minded professionals a ghost hunter a horror novelist a, a special effects creator who kind of believe they have a night off and they're just blown off steam but they don't have the night off um doing that here and there was one more thing in there oh is that i don't i don't know which book i'm gonna write next but i'm fucking right on the cusp bizarrely and i did not expect this out of this conversation i'm i'm tempted to write another bird box story but but like that's that's like that's a crazy thing for me to just say or something i but talking to you about it right now i don't know why it sounds mallory has always been um like a sister to me but a little bit more like a twin sister where mm -hmm. like she's just the character i've never it's no work to write her none yeah. i don't I just, I know her through and through. I know everything she's going to say, her mannerisms, her, I know everything about her. I know exactly her temperament. Um, I know that it's okay when she loses her cool because she is, she is right. I know it's okay um, for her to be scared because what she's scared of is legitimately scary. I like, I, I just fucking relate to Mallory and I feel really, really, really comfortable w working with her, writing her. So talking to you about her just now has me sort of like, God, I fucking miss her. I mean, I haven't written. I wrote that book, you know, a few years ago now. Yeah. You know, so it's it's like maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just knock one. You know, what's a fun idea is knocking one of those out, like knocking a third book of and not even, you know, agent editor don't even know about it yet, and then like in a meeting be like, I don't know, here you guys like this one? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> the um, you know, I I think I like I felt weird rewatching uh bird you know the bird box movie and listening to, to mallory when i like really want i saw the the town under the lake thing and i and i was like oh fuck i uh you know and, and you have so many books you know the it's, it's so difficult to come into a conversation like knowledgeable about your work um you know writ large the but also sometimes um when somebody gets into an old record of yours, it forces you to go back and listen to it again. And you're like, yeah. Oh man, we listened to this so many times with like mixing and mastering and stuff that I got to hate it. And then I didn't listen to it at all for seven years. Yeah. And now fuck this record's great, man. Yeah. You know, the I know, I know, I know, you know, I had an interesting, I just want to mention this. You brought up the possibilities and Bob came to town recently. So uh -huh. this is interesting real fast. Bob, his sister, Cindy, one time when I was first dating Allison, Bob told his sister, Cindy, who lives up here to go see the high strung. She comes to our show and her and Allison meet at the show and we're like instant best friends. So Bob Spires, the singer of possibilities, one of the two singers, his sister, Cindy has been like, she is like one of our best friends for like the last like 10 years. Wow. And like in our daily lives, like she was over here the other day and, so Bob came up to Michigan to see her and they all came over to our house. And while Bob was here, we played for him our newest album on like the speaker system. And we're all Owen and me and we're all like drinking and you know, excited. And then fucking Bob played us his. Uh, and it was this amazing moment where I was and his sounded fucking awesome. Of course. And it was yeah. like it was really awesome. It was like way more rock than ours. And his voice is like super high and weird still. And it was all uh, fucking awesome. And like. We were like, wow, this is a great moment we're having right now. We're just, this wasn't planned. You came to see your sister and then here we are, Bob, you and us like playing each other these songs and you and I are like that. And again, I can't help but think that it, it just smacks of a birds of a feather. It just smacks of that. Like, 
the the reason we there's almost something subconscious. Maybe I'm being a little cosmic, but there's something subconscious about when we all met that was like this guy's gonna be doing it forever, just like I am, because like there's actual love here, and and then we are all doing it. Yeah, and it's man, it's so great to talk to you and and be reminded that we're allowed to take those moments to hang out with our friends and play them the new record and listen to their new record and listen and talk and laugh and have fun because we put the work in. And sometimes we forget that we did, you know, the, um, yeah, it, it was good work, you know, the, and we're, we're lucky to have had it. Well, sometimes I think that it almost becomes like how you were saying before that you have to like, you almost forget about, um, you know, being number one in, in that kind of thing. You almost forget it. Like sometimes I got to remind myself too, that it's exceptional. Like what you're doing, like not, not meaning me, but the idea of like, because you could easily say like, Oh yeah, yeah I wrote another album this year or, Oh, I, I wrote a book. Like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. It should never reach this sort of like, Oh yeah, I just did that or popped it out. It should always be a, you should always be aware. And now that kind of goes back to, why I like that list on Wikipedia, why I like those numbers is because they, they force you to be aware of what you're doing and adding to that. You're not just like, Oh, it's just another, you know, throw it into the abyss of, of work I've done for 20 years. Like, no, this is book number 36. And the reason this is different than 35 is this and this, and this is album number 10 with the boys. Well, that means something 10. Okay. This, you know, that kind of thing. I think, numbers help me in that way like two or something you know what i mean they like they like keep track uh, or they they remind me that each work of art is an individual number is an individual work of art yeah and the awesome thing is that i you know i, I you know to have made 10 records with with the high strong it's not just that you made 10 records you made 10 number one favorite high strong records right that each one of those is your favorite you know, the, and I, I think uh, you would have an incredibly hard time choosing between those records or to, to put those records in order. That would, that would, that might break you. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do that. How many, how many albums have you made now? I think I'm at like eight or nine. Yeah. That's well, we have, I think this newest one is like our 10th, like proper studio, like album Mark and I have done stuff on the side and four track and EP and stuff like that. But in terms of like album, I think we're about the same. It's wild. It's wild. Yeah. Um, Josh, thank you so much for this, man. I, I, I love you so much. And the, it's weird to be starting a podcast now. I feel like I'm like, getting into the red hot chili peppers now for the first time. Like I'm so behind in, <laughs> in like getting to this, but it's been, uh, it's been so good for me to just the, cause like, when's the last time that we had a long conversation, you yeah. know, like when, yeah. when star Anna and I came through yep. in 20, 20- no, but even that wasn't that long. Like, like we were at that table yeah. for a while and yeah, it was and then- like, I feel like I was more concerned because I, at that point I was going 15 months without drinking and I was way back in the, like, wow, this is like, and it was like changing my, it felt like I discovered the fountain of youth yeah. and I was like six or seven months in. So I wouldn't say it's a regret of mine, but oftentimes when I've thought about our talk, I'm like, we could talk about anything. We have to talk about fucking sobriety. I didn't have to bring that up. He's like, the, he's like, 
he's way beyond the six months that you were at and he's at a different you know level or something but the, but anyway my point is that conversation i'm glad we we're glad we met up and whatever but this when's the last time we did this yeah n- never i mean maybe in 2003 on the bus of like yep. those, just those like incredibly long rambling conversations we had where we we actually were able to uh, to be friends and also to interrogate each other and to interview each other and to just have those like long, earnest conversations. You know, the, uh, you know, it's another thing I, I feel incredibly fortunate, you know, to have, you know, to have had you and Chad and Mark and Derek to have that level of friendship with each of you that we could just sit and have a serious conversation for a fucking hour and a half or three hours or however long yeah. the drive was, you know, I would love to hear you. Um, I would love to, I mean, I'd love to hear all of them because Owen would be super interesting. My God, but I would love to hear any, any of them, but specifically Chad is striking me right now. Cause you, you could have a hell of a conversation with him uh, in terms of um, if you really wanted to stick with like music and history of music and, and recording gear and, and what goes into making albums and this, I mean, he's, He's like so fucking great to talk about all that shit, man. Oh yeah, the I I gotta get Chad on the. Yeah, I mean, I mean even, again, all of them, all of them. Have Mark, Derek, have them all. But yeah, the, like, I was just, I was just for right now. I was imagining Chad really getting into the gear side or something. It's and and the best thing about doing this podcast is that I like I'm the fucking boss. So if if I want to talk to a person, I'll be like, fuck it, let's do a podcast, and then we just talk for an hour. You know? Yeah, it's awesome. The um, Josh. Thanks so much, man. And yes, uh, I uh, absolutely I loved it. And I want to do it again. Come visit me here. The I got to come see you in Detroit. Uh, let's book a tour. Let's uh, let's do all the things. When are when, real fast? When are you going on tour next? Man, I don't know the I'm in the process of uh, finishing another album that I think is going to turn into two, you know, six to eight long uh, six to eight track EPs. And then, and I have the new book that I really just want to fucking sell it out of the trunk of my car. Um, you know, like, uh, death of a salesman. And, uh, so it would be awesome to do a tour when that record comes out, you know, selling that new record, um, and the, uh, and selling books and stuff. We've always threatened to do a tour where, um, we tour together and you guys back me up the, that would be, that would be, That'd be amazing, awesome. dude. The let's, let's do that before we die. Well, at the, I mean, at the very, 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 very least, when you go on the tour for this one, let's play in Detroit and yeah. Chicago and Cleveland or whatever. Like let's that, do yeah. like a sun together. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It would be phenomenal. All right. Awesome. All right. Great to see you brother. You too. Thank you, Mishka. That was fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Josh. Okay. See ya. Mishka Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Hey, we're going to jump in here with a quick word of thanks to our corporate sponsor, Oh, what's that? Where this podcast is not sponsored by Squarespace? Yes, that's right. This is a uh, totally independent, 
um, no, no Exxon money. Um, oh Christ. Uh, this is an independent podcast. We don't do second takes on bogus commercials. Please, uh, rate, review, subscribe, post your, uh, your heartwarming compliments on the uh, Apple Podcast app and spread the word. Thank you. <laughs>